0: You're tuning in to the Black Hollywood Live Network. Featuring news, interviews, and commentary on all things Black Hollywood. Hollywood Redefined. From Los Angeles, California, streaming live thanks to Akamai Technologies. This is Black Hollywood Live. Justice is served. Featuring the week's roundup and commentary on legal news. Black Hollywood Live. Hollywood the You're listening to Black Hollywood Live. And now, the host for Black Hollywood Live Justice is Served.
1: Hello and welcome to today's episode of Justice is Served here on Black Hollywood Live. My name is Chelsea Galicia. I'm an LA workers compensation attorney here along with three fabulous co-hosts to bring you the latest in legal news. I want to start here. To my left is Mr. BJ Abron, who I'm so excited to. Everybody join me in applause. DJ was just sworn in yesterday, uh, the next class of lawyers here thank in California, you, you. found out he passed the bar, partied it up, that's why he missed last week, <laughs> <laughs> we will True. We True forget part. that because True it part. is uh, it, quite the uh, accomplishment, and I remember <laughs> the relief, so congratulations. Yes, yes thank you. Uh, excited to have you here, and we have our law student, Nisha Vida. One day you will know that joy. Um, she, for the time being, is a UC. law student who is getting a dual degree, uh, her master's in public policy. Uh, So you're going to be at this school thing for longer than the three of us were. Uh, She is also the co-editor in chief of the National Black Law Journal and in the public interest law program. She was also born in South Africa and LA raised. Fascinating person. Thank you for being here. Thanks. And last but not least, we have Shaka Smith, who, born in Miami, went to undergrad in Princeton Law School in D.C., where he did natural gas, healthcare law, and worked in the Public Defender's Office, and he moved to L.A. to pursue acting and fitness modeling. Thank you so much, everyone, for being here. We've got quite an intense rundown for you today. Um, a lot of follow-up on shootings, new shootings, Uh sort of the landscape of legal news uh, in America right now. So let's start off with uh, Laquan McDonald. So you'll remember that he was the guy shot 16 times by a police officer. We showed the video. First, I thought it was like last week, and BJ was like, no, that was two weeks ago. We were like the walking dead lawyers around here. <laughs> um, so we showed that video uh, that, that shows the officer driving down the street and then comes upon... Laquan McDonald, who is not being threatening to any of the officers around, is kind of walking down the street, almost ignoring the officers, when this one particular officer, Jason Van Dyke, appears on the scene and less than 30 seconds later begins to unload his gun into um, Laquan McDonald. So he was arrested and charged with first-degree murder, but now is out. Of jail. He, uh, since Monday, has been released on bail of $1.5 million. Now, the first interesting thing about this was that last week, or the week before, before the video was released, the judge denied bail and wanted to see the video first before deciding on the bail issue. So, Shaka, how do you think that seeing the video impacted the judge's decision about whether bail was going to be? granted and the amount?
2: Well, I I think that he did set bail at $1.5 million, so I think he acknowledged that there was some sort of there was a gravitas behind the video. You know, this guy was shot several times. I think we heard a lot of statements prior to the video's release about the gruesomeness of the video, and I think the judge wanted to see how gruesome it was to see if he should deny bail altogether. And I don't think it showed the kind of I mean, it, it was awful to see, but I don't think it showed the kind of gruesomeness the judge might have thought might have been on the. It was given just the so previous blatant. Statement. It wasn't yeah. quite
1: gruesome, but yeah. it was just blatant.
2: But yeah, it I just felt s- like it might be gruesome so wh- based on the comments prior. I mean,
1: what do you think would have needed to be on the video <laughs> for the cop to deny bail?
2: Well, well, I always thought maybe a point blank shooting might be more. Um, but given the fact that there was some distance... So and only it seemed, if we
1: would have seen blood, you think, maybe the video would have been
2: I, I, I think that definitely enough. factors into, yeah, whether or not the impact it had on the, the judge. But, you know, once again, it was $1.5 million, so it was a high bail that was set. And I'm, the guy is not a flight risk. Exactly. Um, and so I think that's what it comes down to, is, is this guy going to flee? Was it so gruesome that this guy might just, you know, dart?
3: And I think that's, I mean, that's what you really want to look at when you're yeah. talking about whether... Um, someone should should receive bail or not is whether they're a flight risk, not necessarily whether uh, you think that they are more likely to be charged and convicted with this crime. And so, uh, personally, I'm not sure why he needed to see the actual video before he made that ruling. He heard the charges. He should have assessed the circumstances. This is a police officer. What's his likelihood of fleeing well, country, I, think, go whatever.
2: I think to some degree it goes hand in hand If the video is such that you'll definitely be convicted So gruesome it's completely clear it's not defensible whatsoever I think that raises your likelihood to flee And so I think maybe he wanted to see you know, but if there was any defensibility to this video To
1: that point, his own attorney said about the video when uh, When you see the video alone, it does not seem like a justifiable shooting yeah. So he's trying to say that circumstances beyond the view of the video make it less obvious that this was a justifiable shooting. So
4: but if you look at the video, it seems pretty
2: he, yeah, but he said after meeting with his client that it was defensible. That he felt it was completely so, defensible. When
4: I first read about this, I don't remember what news outlet it was, but the news outlets sort of they showed the video and they kept sort of talking about this knife that Laquan had in his hand. He had this knife, he wouldn't let his knife go, you know, um, and then even after he was shot, he didn't let the knife go. So perhaps somewhere in there, it got factored in that he may have been a threat, or the officer may have felt threatened. Yeah. And with the
2: Which video, that's such a stretch. And with the video, we can see clearly, but we don't know exactly how far the officer was. We don't know how sunlight played a role. So. To me, should the officer be convicted based on the video? Yes, but do, do I think there could be defenses there that are plausible? Absolutely. So I think
3: that there are definitely um, some plausible defense, defenses. Yeah. Whether they'll uh, <laughs> whether they'll work or not is a different story. Yeah. But I mean, and I think actually, statistic not statistically, it's been proven before um, uh, that certain individuals, if you're carrying a knife and you're within a certain range, um, I think it might be nine feet or something like that, um, if you're Facing that person here, uh, clearly this wasn't a case, no. but if you're facing that person that you're going to shoot, you're going to be able to stab them before they can get a shot off. So uh, obviously, during a trial, you'll hear, and, and don't quote me on the nine feet, uh, but it's mm-hmm. somewhere near there. Uh, and so you'll see during a the trial these types of things that come out, and you might have heard that, or, or they, these might have came out during the bail hearing or, or whatnot. I'm sure he made some type of viable argument to. Yep. And it you was, know,
2: was it, they found drugs in the system, correct? Yes. P, it was. was it PCP? Yeah. yeah. It was PCP. yeah but and it's we know, like, who cares? Oh, PCP, that's one of the drugs that you can continue to fight after you've been shot a few times. So I think that but may... But when you look have...
1: at the video, he wasn't fighting. He wasn't fighting anybody before he was shot. So I don't see what the drugs in this case have anything to do with anything.
2: And I think that would probably be my position, but I think it's defensible the fact that he had this drugs-in system that typically makes someone able to resist, even shots fired to to the person. So
1: this part was interesting, too. So uh, in order to uh, post-bail the officer... uh, Do I I even need to call him officer anymore? He's been fired, (laughs) right? Jason Van Dyke uh, needed to Post ten percent of that, so that's one hundred and fifty thousand dollars, and he raised it um, through a, a GoFundMe page that his wife set up, and and the Fraternal Order of Police, uh, a local chapter, also helped raise the money. Do you think that says anything about police officers who are raising money for other for another officer who blatantly killed
4: somebody? So when I think about the people that I know that are in security and that are officers, I think they would look at the video and they would think about the PCP and they would think about the knife and they would look at the distance and they think about the fact that officers are first responders and dealing with all these crazy people. And they would say, okay, I understand why he shot him. Now, whether or not you know it makes sense that he would shoot him 17 times... That's another story, times. or 16 times. And I
1: actually heard, read somewhere, that he was reloading the gun, because 16 right, is right. all the bullets yeah, that right. there are, and so he was reloading
4: and would have kept going, apparently, if it not, had not been for another officer who told him to stop. I think, I think that there's officers who would look at this and just think it's egregious, and I think there's officers who would look at this and find it justifiable.
3: And, and see, my take on it is that, um, I'm not talking about two bullets or two shots, I'm not talking about three shots. I'm not talking about four or five. I'm talking about 16 shots. That's not justifiable, and, and I don't care what your take is. If you're pro law enforcement, if you're uh, anti law enforcement, I don't understand. And it's a, I, I, personally, I think it's a problem if you have a view that this was in any way, shape warranted. Uh, Just have a problem. With I, but I do think there's something to be said for if a family, if I, if this was a family
2: member that had committed the shooting, and they said, you know, to me, trust me. When when everything comes out, you'll see I'll be exonerated. Then I would believe that, and I would support them. And I think the officers are doing that behind their their officer who's now in trouble. They're they're going to trust that the circumstances must have led him. I'm sure they met with him and they know his story. And so they, I think they're believing that the, the circumstances will ferret out that he is not um, in any wrongdoing. I,
3: so. You might be absolutely right about that. But I just have a feeling that this is just a good old boys. It's
1: a bad PR move, but I know it is.
3: I mean, because the chief, if not, um, if I'm not correct, this—I mean, he was the one who came out and said that this video was heinous, and he couldn't even watch it. It Is this correct? Not a fellow, the chief. Yeah, yeah. So you know, I don't
1: know. All right, we will bring you the latest on, uh, of course, the proceedings in that case. I believe he is going to be, uh, I think the next—I can't remember where. Like I said, walking dead around here. But I believe that the next step in this case is coming up soon. Like before the end of the month, we'll have uh, another development. Uh, All right. And then the shooting of Jamar Clark um, sparked a gathering of protesters. The Black Lives Matter movement um, gathered to promote awareness and seek justice for Jamar. And then we had. white supremacists basically come and come armed and when they were sort of called out for being there like what are you guys doing here uh, in this confrontation they shot five participants in the Black Lives Matter uh, movement protest and for a while we didn't know who there were no arrests made right. now there have been arrests made by for uh, four people uh some of the individuals had made a video before, or or I guess it looked like they were on their way, perhaps, saying silly things like, stay white. Uh, And they're... So these four are being charged with assault and second-degree riot. So what does that mean, second-degree riot? We don't see that very often.
2: Yeah, so I think, um, basically, in that jurisdiction, if you were with four or more people and you go... um, basically you cause a, a rioted situation where there's a gathering of people, then you can be charged with, And you, there's harm that is caused to yeah. victims in the crowd um, that are not part of your your foursome or more. Right. Um, then you Would can be charged second degree,
1: degree It's very interesting that the, the difference between first and second degree yeah. seems to be only the number of participants. Right. So yeah. for felony, it's ten people or more. Yeah. And for second degree, which is a misdemeanor, it's four. Oh. And so they barely made it in because they had four people. Uh, we're showing uh, one of them uh, who... Uh, Scarsella is his name I don't even know if I want to be saying this guy's name Don't want to give him (laughs) any more free press But um, he apparently (coughs) Is accused of firing eight shots uh, Wounding five people Uh, And the the Other three are also Being charged with assault And that's for shooting Uh, Some people have asked Why no hate crime? Why no domestic terrorism? Why no attempted murder charges? Have you guys gotten to the bottom of why that might be? It's a very simple answer.
3: Look at the victims. That's
4: it. It's the only answer. And the aggressors.
3: And the aggressors? I mean, well, I, you know, one I, thing that, let me tell you one thing that's interesting about the aggressors because, uh, it, it and I like that you phrase it as a white supremacy, right? Supremacist act. Uh, but all of these individuals weren't quite, un- quote unquote, white. One of them was Asian. And I think this tells a deeper story about what America does <coughs> and how America creates. Um, in the mind and and depicts certain people uh, and and creates not only just a culture that white people have, uh, and not all, when I say uh, white people, quote, unquote, I don't mean all white people, but uh, create this culture of white supremacy and how others buy into it. And when I say others, I mean even Latinos, even uh, African Americans, and, and, and they buy into this. And so what you see is not just a white on black seen here, you see whites mixed with Asians here in this particular circumstance and to, to me I think that's very interesting and it's very deep actually when you actually start to think about that yeah
2: I think it's I think they do kind of set up that dichotomy where it's sort of like an us versus them and then you start to kind of coalesce these different groups but I did want to defend the city to some degree um because they did say they didn't charge with a hate crime because the penalties for second degree riot were were higher oh. so they were trying to the sentences for second degree riot were higher. Mm-hmm
1: do you think it would have been just good symbolically to charge exactly. with the hate crime
2: but if you if you're going for the the bigger sentence then i think that was a way to go and then i think the he the prosecutor also mentioned that they are talking to um the us attorney about um some sort of
1: Federal, and, you know, charges. federal charges. Okay. And then one of the reasons I saw that attempted murder charges were not filed is because where the victims were shot.
3: Yeah, the injuries did not sustain an attempted oh, murder no. charge. I don't, I don't agree with that because the use of a de- the deadly we- weapon doctrine clearly makes the use of a deadly weapon enough to show intent to kill. But if so if, but I've shot, if I've shot at 10 people <coughs> and I've shot
2: all of their legs, every single one of them I shot below the knee. I don't think that's enough.
3: I think the likelihood in, of you causing death is extremely high. Sort are looking
2: at manslaughter, but I don't think... For attempted murder, I have to want to kill you. And so I, I don't think if I'm shooting at 10 people and everyone's below the knee, I think it kind of shows I was going more to not for death, you know? So I think that's why the prosecutor said...
3: And so maybe these guys are really trained shooters, and they just knew what they were doing. But that just triggered <laughs> yeah, yeah. something in my mind, actually. What happened to police officers not shooting to kill? In all of these circumstances and yeah. the, these cases that we're talking about, these officers are literally shooting to kill. Mm-hmm. Why can't you shoot someone like you just said in this yeah. scenario in the leg or in the foot just to stop them from, from being... a um, you know, from causing you any further pain or whatever?
4: So I was talking to my officer friends about this. And what I have been informed is that the leg is a very sort of small target. The chest is wide enough that if you're trying to disable someone, I mean, if you try to shoot at someone's leg, you may miss, right? Because it's a small target or someone's arm, they're moving, they're small. So if someone's coming at you, which a lot of these cases... You know, no one's coming at anyone. There's someone, like, in the distance or they're running away or whatever. But in the circumstances where an officer is shooting, that's why they shoot for the chest because it's a big enough target that you know you'll get a hit.
3: Mm. And, see, and see, to me, and like you said, in, in these situations, you don't see that threat. That you would like to see to say, "Hey, I shot him. This is why I shot him in the head, or this is why I shot him in the chest." So for me, and, and we were just talking about three random guys, and I don't know their background, but we're not talking about trained police officers here. We're talking about just regular guys. So, so when they got a training, lucky,
2: basically. Right? Well, I, I, I think that's
3: absolutely possible. But
2: you know, I, I it for the city, they moved very quickly on this, and it, it seemed and. It seems like they're really proactive, and so I'm going to trust the prosecutor when he said the injuries didn't rise to the level and I think we will hear what those injuries were in the coming months but i I was actually a little bit heartened by the last two stories with the murder one charge and now how quickly they're moving here, at least with the way justice is being dispensed i've been I'm starting to see a change and a trend
1: well, because already in this case, remember. Jamar Clark died over a year ago. So there's yeah. already been a tremendous delay in justice in this case. It yeah. took a year for the officer to be charged. It yeah. took a year plus for the video to be released. Yeah,
2: the timing was That's egregious. Laquan. The timing, That's
1: Laquan. Yeah, no. Laquan yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. See?
2: The timing
3: was egregious. No,
1: Laquan was um, Laquan's was, ju- video. was just killed la- a few weeks ago. No, the
3: video was released.
1: Yes, yeah, that right. was released. Uh, gosh, yes. I mean, some of these.
3: Yeah. Well, no, but that's a testament <laughs> to how often this happens, that it overlaps and you just get confused over who's oh, who it yeah, is. It's just so many bodies, so many victims. And it, I
1: mean, absolutely no disrespect to the victims or the victim's family than not keeping these stories straight. But the, I mean, it, it is so overwhelming, the number of these stories that we, we cover, um, that it's it, no no excuse to not keep them straight. But it's...
4: I also, what? I just wanted to press a little bit more on the domestic terrorism idea, because... Um, during the University of Missouri situation where people were protesting and there was all this stuff going on there were actual KKK members that came onto campus and the administration refused to shut down the campus even though these people had been putting out threats on Twitter, they'd been contacting students and threatening their lives they were on campus the KKK presence was on campus and you know, administration knew this, I mean, come on KKK, like how many people has have they killed, right? So yeah. But no domestic terrorism charges. They didn't even shut down the campus. And I and I was reading an article about this, um, about this this kill or this shooting, and it was talking about how since 9/11, there's been two times the number of people that have been killed Sorry. by by yeah. white supremacist groups than any kind of. Muslim, jihadi mm-hmm.
3: And in fact, person. And, and I believe yep. I read that same article where they took it a step further and even stated that even the police officers in these regions aren't concerned about Muslims. Mm-hmm. They're concerned about the white supremacists because they see how prevalent this is. And I think that that's it, this goes back to a number of episodes ago where we talked about and I mentioned how media is the way that you really control the population. Mm-hmm. And so I completely agree with you that in this circumstance maybe the charge that they came with or that they brought uh, has a more harsh Sentence, but I think the media is really playing a game, or we're playing a game with media here, because you want to, you're categorizing a number of people since nine eleven as terrorists, mm-hmm. as domestic domestic terrorists, and that word rings a lot of bell, and that word sticks, and so when you see all of these um, incidents dealing with uh, white supremacy why are we not labeling these people as terrorists? It also
4: it also affects how we police people, right? Because I think the federal government just released a policy saying that Muslim families are going to be watched in case, like, somebody becomes a terrorist or something like that. Radicalized? So, yeah, so we're actually creating all this extra policing and of people, right? Sick people who aren't even Muslim. They're, um, you know, an, an, another faith, but they wear the turban traditionally. You know, get racially profiled, whether by officers or by just people on the street, you know. After Paris attacks, people were getting beaten, innocent people. And so when, so this sort of racialization of terrorism as being a brown thing, also affects how we're policing people and how we're policing communities. Right. Yeah, right. It, it has a tremendous effect.
1: Just on what we charge people with changes the narrative of how people are seen, for better or for worse. Right. And, uh, yeah, our, our country has failed. I don't know of any situations in which a white supremacist group or person has been charged with domestic terrorism. We had a similar conversation about this with Dylan Roof, who shot the um, individuals at the church. Mm-hmm. Same, same thing there, not uh, charged with... Um, Domestic terrorism. So we're, I guess, going to wait for the day when that happens, um, because it has not happened right. yet.
2: Right. But uh, it, I've, isn't domestic terrorism an element of that to do with the I- ideology of the country as a whole?
1: I don't yeah. know. It, so if, that, if when you're
2: trying to it's kind of politically
1: deco- motivated, yeah, when
2: you're trying to deconstruct the politics of a country,
4: what do you mean by that?
2: So if I'm if I'm committing violence because I. Want the, the United States to change a governmental policy? Uh, it, it's, if I want the government to do something, yeah, no, these no, no, people
1: no. were anti-government, that, or they want to go back to when the government had a segregated things of that nature.
3: But that's not necessarily what a domestic terrorist is, and I'll just state because uh, and growing up in Compton, I know that gang members are labeled as domestic terrorists now, oh, and okay. so so that that label is not just applicable for some for a government motive. Okay.
1: All right. Well. uh... Gosh, I wish that we could go on to a lighter story, but can't quite. Um, yet we have a uh, an officer go- facing trial now. He's first officer uh, that is being tried in the death of Freddie Gray. So Freddie Gray was the 25-year-old guy that died earlier this year when he was handcuffed, both hands and feet, placed in the back of a police van that was driven, what do I call it, erratically. He went on a rough ride. Freddie Gray sustained uh, a neck injury, spinal injury, and died a week later. All six officers involved have been charged, and they have decided to try them all separately. The first officer being tried is William Porter, who, if you're looking at the picture we have is, oh, that's the next story, is the guy on the upper right coroner. He is one of three black officers involved in this case. The first to be tried, Uh, he is being tried for manslaughter, second degree assault, misconduct in office, and reckless endangerment. Which of these, if any, do you think will uh, result in a guilty verdict? Well, um,
2: I would definitely say manslaughter. Second degree assault is a little bit tougher because it requires an intention. Um, and misconduct in office and reckless endangerment, I think, are almost gimmies in that in the situation. Yeah. Um, and why I say degree assault requires intent is really what they're saying is because they did not strap this guy in, um, that's what caused the injury. And it's just going to be very difficult to prove that these officers intended to cause him injury by not strapping him in unless one of the officers comes forward and kind of testifies against the other guys.
1: Well, I think that's one of the reasons perhaps why this officer is the first one. Perhaps prosecutors believe him to be the least culpable, um, and so he will provide testimony or evidence will come out in his trial that will point a stronger finger at other officers involved uh, as a way to defend himself. And, uh, I mean, it's probably... Uh, obvious to to me, at least, that the he, the reason he's being tried first is because he might be the least culpable, or the other hand, he may be the most culpable, and they want to set a precedence right. that there's been a conviction before, and so the other trials should follow. Yeah. Should we make anything of the order of these officers being tried?
3: I mean, I think it, it, the prosecutors always take strategies in in these type of matters. Um, obviously at this point until the evidence comes out we really don't know or can't confirm or deny what that strategy may be but um, I think that definitely the um, involuntary manslaughter is probably the one that will stick because like you stated it doesn't require that intent element Um,
1: So I want to talk about the role of race in this particular case because both of the uh, defendant and victim here are black the jurors uh, make up the same racial makeup of the city there are eight black and four white jurors who are going to decide this officer's fate uh, do you think that he's going to get a fair trial based on the you know, breakdown of the racial makeup uh, in the city of Baltimore
3: well I mean it's not like people aren't going to know well, yeah, so in fact, all,
1: the, all of the jurors knew who right. Brady Bray was when the judge asked them. They knew about him. I think everybody but one person that was questioned knew about the $6.4 million that the right. city paid to the family. So the question of a fair trial is obviously an important issue, and... For both sides, right? The jury knows about this case somewhat, but that by itself does not disqualify somebody. It's only if their bias is such that they cannot, with an open mind, hear the evidence
4: and weigh it and make a decision.
2: And yeah, oh sorry,
4: go ahead. I was was just going to say, I think where race for the jury might come in is, you know, if if you're black, you know, chances are you've been profiled or someone you know has been profiled. And chances are maybe there's been some kind of police aggression involved. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean, you know, I think that everybody's going to have the same opinion. You know, people going to have different opinions. They're going to see facts differently.
2: And I, I think it will be interesting with this case to see how it plays out. But the, the charges are very simple. Basically, they violated um, a police code that resulted in his death. And so manslaughter and misconduct in office and reckless endangerment, to me, that's almost like prima facie. Like that's... That's exactly. well, what couldn't
1: couldn't he say, because it seems to me that the crux of this whole case comes down to who failed to strap him in correctly? Mm-hmm. This kind of problem was well known to the department. The department had been sued yeah, for yeah. these rough rides. Many times have paid out if I'm not mistaken millions of dollars before. So it was definitely a policy that you have to tie people down so that they're not flailing and sliding around during
4: the ride. Yeah. But there's a difference between intention to intentionally not tying someone down and intending to hurt somebody.
1: Well, first, the I think the driver is going to face quite a bit of heat because I understand that it was an erratic maneuver during the drive because there was somebody else in the van for at least part of the ride, somebody else that had been arrested. Uh, so the driver being one part of that equation about how rough the ride was, but the other part is for sure you have to. T- restrain somebody in the back of a police vehicle. And each
2: officer would be culpable
3: because it's all of their duties to exactly. to do so exactly. so
1: is that automatic or does or, well, or mean, ha- the or,
3: fact that they've been sued before that you i mean you, so you know that there's protocol and measure that have been taken inside the department because of that and so that's where you clearly show the gross negligence that's taken place but because do, you,
1: does he get to say well you know I was the last one to get there I, I just uh, whose job is it to tie him securely into the band.
2: I haven't read the police code in in full, but from what I did see, it was every officer has that responsibility. Um, Now, if there's any part to the code that says the sergeant is the one that must do so, then obviously there'll be more culpable than the others on these charges.
1: So trying to point the finger and be like, you know, I thought so-and-so was going to do it, so-and-so thought that other person was going to do it, that is not going to be a defense, you don't think?
2: As far as I know regarding the code, no.
1: All right. Okay, so then that's the case, and I'm expecting some pretty simple... convictions here, I understand that the trial is expected to last about two weeks and we will definitely bring you the verdict and any development uh, on that All right, Shaka, you have some words from our sponsor
2: Yes, DraftKings Your season-long fantasy football team may be going strong but you don't have to wait until week 16 to get paid. One-week fantasy means no season-long commitments Got an injured player? No problem It's like a new season every week so you're never stuck with the same players And get this, DraftKings is crowning a new millionaire every week this season. You could turn your love of football into a life-changing payday. This isn't fantasy as usual, this is DraftKings. Welcome to the big time. Hurry to DraftKings.com now and use promo code BLACK to play free for a shot at $1 million in this week's Millionaire Maker event. Enter BLACK for free entry now at DraftKings.com. That's DraftKings.com.
1: All right, great. Thank you so much for that. Now, something that I wish was a fantasy but certainly is not is this Planned Parenthood shooting in Colorado uh, that happened... Speaking of domestic terrorism. Right. So, right, should this... I I did not see that he had been charged with that. It was first-degree murder. But, again, no domestic... and, and is this a hate crime against women? Of course,
3: it's a hate crime. I mean, he and it was—he's he's sending a political message here. That's what—that's really what's going on here, especially at this date and time, where we have uh, these big controversies over whether abortion should be allowed or not. Um, has he been charged is, yet? Yes, he has been charged. He's,
1: he was in court yesterday, kind of. Uh, half His eyes were closed half the time So I don't, I don't know if this is like his attempt <laughs> right. To look incompetent But he did um, Appear in, in court He's actually being defended by one of the Public defenders who was on the team For James Holmes, right. the guy who Shot the Aurora movie theater right. I Don't want to have that guy's job <laughs> Um, but, I mean, it's, it's very necessary in our system that we have a public defender who would do um, that work. So thank you, Guy, for doing that, because I definitely would not want to be defending Robert Louis Deer, who went to the Planned Parenthood and killed a police officer and a, a mother and an Iraq War veteran. Three people killed. Um, why no, do, do we think maybe hate or domestic violence? terrorism charges will be added on later or probably not? I mean,
3: whether they'll be added on or not, I I can't say. I think they should. Yeah. Definitely.
1: So he, you know, the judge told him that uh, he's facing a minimum penalty of life and a maximum penalty of death if he's convicted. Uh, I I mean, I'm generally not for the death penalty, and I've made the prediction on this show that within the next 10, 20 years, I think the Supreme Court is going to say that the— Death penalty is not constitutional, but in this case, I feel like that's not enough. You killed a police officer who was on duty, who, who knew of there was an active shooting situation, who went in knowing full well the danger that he faced and, and gave his life in order to help save the people who were inside. This was Officer Swayze, who was a, a husband and father of two children. And then, you know, the other two civilians... How how can we, what do you think would allow for you to feel that justice was done in this case?
3: Well, I mean, I, I, I don't believe that, again, I'm a, to second you, I'm not a believer in a death penalty. In fact, I think it reduces the pain that one would suffer if they uh, would have had to suffer life in prison. Um, under whatever conditions. I think we
1: those should make him volunteer at an abortion clinic for the rest of his <laughs> life.
3: Oh wow! I, I, I don't <laughs> want him nowhere near an abortion <laughs>
2: clinic. <laughs> well, I think when 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 it comes to justice here in this case, I think we're looking at like a systemic issue. Um, so we know that Planned Parenthood wants to now sue the group that made the deceptive videos yes. of them looking like they're selling baby parts, and yes. that Carly Fiorina reiterated that statement during one of the debates. Right. And I think the systemic issue is. People trying to, especially when you come to the national debate stage, and you know her trying to appeal to a certain base, and um, these people who are kind of ideologues making these deceptive videos. It, it, when the guy that was arrested talked about why he did this, he mentioned baby parts, and it's a term that we, you know, goes right back to the videos and back to Miss Fiorina. And I think that that's the issue here is um, allowing people to be looked at in a false light and then publicizing that message. Right. And so I think you have two people here: um, those that publicize the message. And those that that the group that's now being targeted in terms of a lawsuit on. I mean, this so I,
1: I want like real time fact checking on these debates yeah. because then when Carly Fiorina was looking into the camera yeah. very intensely, saying, "Watch those videos, and you will see exactly this, that, and the other," and then. The truth is, that's not what you see in those videos. If, like, a large bubble had come over the screen that said what she is saying is absolutely not true, that may have made a difference. So, real life, real time fact checking. Can we can we get this? And perhaps (laughs) that would be just Carly Fiorina saying, "Sorry," and I hope I had no part in inspiring this. Monster to do what he did.
2: Yeah, because anyone watching that statement that she made, if you weren't going to go do your own fact checking, you'd believe her. She looked credible. Um, <laughs> you know, former CEO of Hewlett Packard. You know, she, so she has that look where as an average American, if I'm not going to go do any more research, I'm going to believe what she said because she convinced me of it. She was very convincing. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's what we all have to we all have, to have that, the onus upon us to go look further. Exactly. But the media needs to really be a little bit more responsible about the way they portray these things.
1: So you, ta- you mentioned that Planned Parenthood plans to sue this group that put together these deceptive videos that made it look like Planned Parenthood was illegally selling baby you know, parts and tissues. Uh, what would they sue for? We were brainstorming up a whole a whole list of them. Well, I think you
2: yeah, have false light, right. um, tortious business interference. Um, so I think there are definitely claims they can make with regards to these videos. Uh, and I defamation, don't defamation,
1: libel, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and
2: I don't even know if it was legal for them to be videoing um, Planned Parenthood. Um,
1: right, because those recording invasion uh, of privacy. Yeah. Right. So I, I think that there's a, a number of uh, claims that could be made that would probably stick. I would love to see massive punitive damages on this because what we know is that videos that were taken were not all at uh, Planned Parenthood. They were edited in such a way to make it appear that they were selling these parts when what they're legally allowed to do is seek reimbursement for handling the tissue that goes to research for medical conditions, illnesses, cancer, HIV, that we as a society say that we want, we want uh, experimental, you know, drugs and things, and some of them, you know, we don't want to try them out on live humans, and so we use something that's close, and so that's why we use tissue in uh, in some cases. So I, I'm at a loss for um, what. Well, for why so many people believe these videos. And I also found it very fascinating that somebody, I can't remember who said, that this actually appears to be an attack, like a a class warfare attack on uh, poor women, because poor women are the ones that go to Planned Parenthood. You know,
4: I I really think that, you know, we kind of talked about culture a little bit, but culture is really behind this right because this guy's anti-government so what does that mean right he wants to cut government services. Okay, so women are, the right to have abortions is removed from women. Well, then what? Now you have women who are having children, can't take care of them. Where are these children going to go? Who's going to take care of them? And you want to cut government funding? So who's going to be affected? The children are going to be affected. Right. Because now there's no money for foster care for all of these children that have no home or, you know, fire departments take in children. Okay, there's no money for fire departments to take in. I mean, the reality is, is that, you know, Policy shouldn't be made based on things that we would like to happen in the world. Like Nobody would like for women to accidentally get pregnant when they don't mean to get pregnant. But the reality is, biologically, if people in the world are going to have sex, which they will, women will get pregnant. So what happens then? If a woman is not ready to have a child... That is her individual choice to look at her life, look at her finances, look at her family, think about her body, think about her health and her mental health, and decide whether or not to bring a life into the world. I
3: completely agree. And just
4: to, I had one more thought, which is the justice issue that you raised. Like, what would justice look like for this man? And I think a lot about our prison system and our policing system, and that's violence, right? And I think that punishing this man with violence... It just plays into the investment that our country has decided to commit to just punishing people and policing people. What I think justice would look like, maybe, is putting making this guy volunteer at, I don't know, a foster home, work with children, you know... Although, who, who wants to put this... Nobody, man, okay, fine, that's a I, terrible I, idea. But, but, I, but You I, know what I'm saying. I like, totally yeah. understand and appreciate
1: the, the rehabilitative
3: spirit. rehabilitative element. Right, okay, I don't want him with children, yeah. but... Well, well, I mean... <laughs> elderly, how about
1: elderly, <laughs> maybe?
3: Even then, I mean, the government can't do that. I mean, that's involuntary. So our our prison
2: system, we can do rehabilitative things that. That are measured and may take a little bit more money, but at the end of the day will reduce cost overall.
4: Also, prisoners don't have, uh, prisoners can be enslaved under the 13th Amendment.
3: That's true, that is true. I was going to add the fact that... um,
4: (laughs) Side note.
3: (laughs) Side note, right. No, but I was going to add the fact that, uh, and and in these circumstances, we're not talking about stripping or making it illegal to have an abortion. We're talking about government funding, and I completely agree that should be clearly the woman's choice. But what we're really talking about here, and this is what I was mentioning earlier... This is what we're talking about, and, and that's an attack on the lower classes because if there isn't government funding, well you know the rich uh people the people who have money are not going to be affected they're still going to have options with private doctors to go ahead and get their abortions and so this is why I, why my opinion is that this is clearly an attack on the lower classes because these are the people that are going to be affected these are the people that are going to be forced to to, to have those ch- children and they don't want to, and now we'll see the economical effects trickling down from that.
1: Oh man, not a great story I kind of feel bad that we had such a show full of really intense sad stories but we appreciate <laughs> you tuning in to become educated and informed and hear our perspective on these stories and we, ha- we actually have one more time but we are fully out of time so we're going to have to bring our other story that I was really looking forward to bringing yes. next week uh, please come back, join us here on Justice is Served thank you to my co host for you. being here today